0: Hi, everybody. I'm Matt. And I'm Steve. And this is Marvel Reread Club.
1: Okay, so uh, what have you been up to, Matt?
0: Oh, I am continuing to do my job and enjoy it. My kids both went to camp and came home. I am continuing to host trivia every Tuesday night. I am having a wonderful time. What have you been up to, Steve?
1: Heroes Con in Charlotte, probably one of the two biggest comics-focused conventions left in the country, uh, along with Baltimore Comic Con as opposed to ones that have all become uh, colonized by Hollywood and other sorts of entertainment. Uh, so that was this past weekend in Charlotte, and it was a great one. I ended up having my best Heroes Con ever when you account for money uh, I made. So um, that was really nice. Selling and, uh, selling art that you were the anchor on. Primarily, yes.
0: But then you made a banner for the Marvel Reread Club podcast. and I did.
1: So yeah, um, I talked to a lot of people about the uh, about the podcast, and it looks like we've had seven or eight new listens to uh, the first episode in the last week, you know, since, since the beginning of last weekend. So I'm guessing that may be coming from them. So welcome aboard any new listeners, although you probably won't hear this for several weeks until you get to this episode, <laughs> 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 uh, unless you just jump right in uh, now, uh, which I guess you could do. That's fine. Uh, there is a... You.
0: I- one of the other many podcasts that is similar to ours did just the Fantastic Four. is called The Fantastic Cast. And I, you know, went back and listened to some of their older episodes, but I also listened to some of the newer episodes. It was still going when we started. And they, somebody, and people would say to that podcast, like, oh, you know, I love your podcast. I just, you know, discovered it and then listened to the whole thing over the last week. And they're like, you know, the British guys, they're like, okay, we've done 453 episodes. So- <laughs> they're about an hour each so we figured out how much you had to listen per day <laughs> <And> <laughs> they uh so at some point we are going to the the poor saps who want to get caught up on marvel re club are going to be that it's already going to take them more than one day without eating drinking or sleeping or going to the bathroom so <laughs> it's uh you really start start getting caught up on marvel re club now is what i'm saying it's you're not going to want to wait Because,
1: because I mean, speed is the most important thing. Yes. All right. So I guess we're starting with
0: Spider-Man. Okay. Let's do Spider-Man. All right. So this is uh, amazing Spider-Man number 12. So we, this is very much like a DC comic, much more than a Marvel comic. We have a classic DC headline on the cover. uh, And this is like a classic DC Silver Age comic. The whole comic is based around putting something truly outrageous on the cover, a really shocking moment on the cover, and then making the whole story about trying to find a way for this shocking moment to actually happen. And as would happen on a DC Silver Age cover, it actually says, not a dream, not imaginary tale. You'll gasp in amazement when Peter is unmasked by Dr. Octopus. And we have this shocking picture on the cover of Dr. Octopus holding Peter Parker out in front of... Betty and J. John Jameson and the cops and ripping his mask off and showing everybody it's Peter Parker. And I got to say, kudos to this issue. Kudos to Stanley and Steve Dicko for coming up with a shocking image, putting it on the cover, promising us it wasn't going to be an imaginary story. And indeed, in the inside, it is not an imaginary story. And exactly what happens on the cover happens in the issue. And amazingly, they write it in such a way where you can believe that this would happen and... No one would believe that Peter was Spider-Man, which yeah, is yeah. <laughs> really neat
1: writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was very impressed by that. Uh, by that uh, sleight of, I uh, would sleight of hand by that trick uh, they were able to pull in the writing.
0: Yes, they they set themselves a huge challenge on the cover and they live up to it on the inside. So let's go ahead and jump inside, talking about the splash page here. One thing that starts to happen in this issue, unfortunately, is I start to see little glimpses of 80s Ditko in this issue Hmm. that just look at the splash page look at Betty's face on the splash page Mm -hmm. she looks like 80s Ditko she looks like the Ditko I grew up with the Ditko of the late 70s 80s and early 90s and which was nowhere near as good as 60s Ditko and there is Betty's face and to a certain extent, Flash's face and Liz's face on the splash page, very much Betty on the top of page five, where she gets picked up by Dr. Octopus, her face and her body look like 80s deco. They look like sort of the sort of bizarre, more stylized um, and sort of much more weightless, much less solid, less solid spotting of blacks, less solid inking. Because, of course, he wasn't inking himself anymore by the 80s. Anyway, you're not seeing this. You're not seeing what
1: I I am not seeing that on the splash page. When you when you name check those other uh, panels, I went and looked at them, and I yeah I I agree with you, especially on that uh, panel with uh, Betty on page five. But um, I really don't see these faces at the bottom left of page one to be really any uh, to to really stand out to me as any different than than what we've been seeing so far. As a matter of fact, if anything, Liz Allen. strikes me as a little bit better rendered than he often does Um, but that being said um, you know I can uh, I can see where you're coming from on some of those uh, images and uh, but I I just really feel that uh, you know Ditko is at his artistic best um, you know starting in about issue three or four in Spider-Man and going up through the uh, master planner storyline that we're going to get to eventually uh, and then, you know, he sort of wasn't as good in his early days at uh, Charlton. And I don't think he, his art was as good when he goes back to Charlton either, uh, that it really seems that this was the peak of his art in terms of my tastes.
0: Yeah, no, I'd agree. Uh, you know, I agree. Well, yeah, I would say the greatest art he ever did in his life was his run on Doctor Strange, even more so than his run on Spider-Man.
1: I I was just using that to frame the time frame. But yes, uh, in Doctor Strange, he was also equally as uh, knocking it out of the park during that period.
0: I agree. Uh, Anyway, so let's go and jump into the issue. Doctor Octopus escaped from Spider-Man at the end of last issue. One thing they've been doing too much of recently in Marvel is just like, oh, the bad guy gets away and then let's all forget about it. At least here, the bad guy got away at the end of last issue and it's still a going concern. We have J. John Jameson's latest secretary quits in a rage. And runs off, but here's Betty. She is back and now drama-free. It's a little disappointing after having so much good drama. I looked at more than you did. Good drama out of Betty for the last several issues that she goes back to sort of just being a smiling girlfriend as of this issue now that her brother is dead and her debt to the mob is presumably paid off and she has gone back to being a less problematic person. We find out Takak has been on a crimes spree across the country, but he really wants to fight Spider-Man. Spider-Man is starting to get sick and Aunt May for once is right to worry about him, but he is ignoring her. We have Peter getting picked on at school, of course, by uh, Flash Thompson and being defended by Liz Allen, who is now on his side. Uh, He thinks about, go ahead, laugh, you bird-brained clown. Someday everyone will realize it's only the people who are inferior themselves that keep picking on others. And then he thinks, how about that? I'm beginning to sound like a teenage Billy Graham. So. That's uh, yeah, a I, bit that of a dated reference.
1: It really is, and uh but then also, what it sounds like to me is, it just sounds like once again, Ayn Rand. You know? Yeah, <laughs> just you know, the 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 great men of the world are always being kept down by the ankle biters who are trying to bring
0: him down to their low level. Uh, yes, once again, <laughs> implying that Ditko might have been writing in some dialogue in the sides of the page. Oh, so he absolutely then, was. So then. Peter is at the office with JJJ and Betty Brand when suddenly Dr. Octopus shows up and he grabs Betty and he says, I'm going to take her to Coney Island and I want you to send Spider-Man there to fight me and don't send the cops. And he says he, of course he doesn't think Spider-Man is there. So he says JJJ put it in your paper and tell Spider-Man about this challenge. Well, of course, Spider-Man is there. Peter Parker is there. He knows about it. He knows Dr. Octopus has just captured his girlfriend, but then he decides, well, I, Got to go through official channels here. So he then lets talk to girl, His girlfriend and then waits until it appears in the newspaper. So again, <laughs> what is the news cycle here? Like, I certainly hope that JJJ is putting out several editions a day. Well, I, I, think, <laughs> I think all I think all
1: newspapers did back then. That you know, it's you had your morning edition and your evening edition, and you know that was because you had different news that you wanted to share. So you know, you might buy more, you know, if you had a subscription to the paper, you would probably just get the morning one. But, you know, if you're just buying papers in the newsstand, yeah, I think there was multiple editions a day.
0: Yes. But waiting for this to appear in the actual newspaper, it seems like there must have been a better way to do that, Spider-Man. But, you know, (laughs) and then he shows up and he thinks, must pretend I know nothing about Doc Ock. So then he, you know, shows up and asks JJJ, oh, what's going on? And then JJJ tells him. So then we cut to Coney Island. So then Spider-Man shows up and he is so sick that when he punches, Dr. Dr. Ock is like, What's going on? That was just like a normal dude trying to hit me. You don't feel like you're Spider-Man at all. You know, I don't even think you are Spider-Man. And then he says, wait just a second. I don't think you are Spider-Man. And he shows to J. Jonah Jameson and Betty Brand and the cops. He's like, Look, I should have known it isn't Spider-Man. It's that weakling Brad Peter Parker. So he rips off the mask and they all see it's Peter Parker. And everybody's like, Well, his punches weren't landing. He was punching Dr. Octopus as if he was a normal person. Clearly, you know, everybody knows Betty Brand is dating Peter Parker. Clearly, Peter Parker, we know Peter Parker was there for the challenge, and he just decided to dress up as Spider-Man and pretend he was Spider-Man and go face Dr. Octopus, which is a very clever way to get that shocking image on the cover and have everybody instantly come up with another explanation for how this could be going on and not accept the truth before their very eyes that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So it's very clever plotting. Dr. Octopus is pissed. He thinks that obviously wasn't really Spider Man. He leaves him there. He's brought home to the doctor. He rests up, sort of a reversal of the usual Aunt May Peter relationship. Mm-hmm. The virus passes through his body in 24 hours, and then he's feeling fresh as a daisy. Then we get something. We endlessly debate on this show. We are endlessly cataloging evidence of this is evidence that Stanley was writing these things, and this is evidence that Stanley wasn't writing these things. I feel like this next thing is sort of one in the column of Stanley did have something to do with plotting these things because Dr. Octopus then suddenly decides apropos of nothing to release all the animals from the zoo. And then this is something that has happened several times in Lee Kirby comics. And now it happens again in a Lee Dicko comic. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly Stanley. This is clearly some weird thing of Stanley it's like, what are the, what do the readers want to see? They want to see our heroes rounding up zoo animals. So let's have villains randomly release animals from the zoo on a regular basis. So um, sure enough, Spider-Man spends several pages rounding up two animals, having a good old time, getting them back together. He then fights Dr. Octopus. Everyone can tell he's really Spider-Man now. He's fighting much better. Their fight takes them inside a deserted sculptor's studio. And Dicko has a lot of fun with these very large, creepy, strange sculptures in this studio where their fight goes on and starts a fire. Dr. Octopus gets trapped beneath a giant statue and Spider-Man wants to save him and is like, what am I doing? Not only can I not save him, I can't save myself. I'm in big trouble. Barely manages to save himself, sort of leaves Dr. Octopus to die because he has no choice, but somehow the firemen come and get the fire out in time to rescue Dr. Octopus, but he is so dazed and confused that he is easily led out by the police to jail. So I'm glad that if they were going to have him get away last issue, they have not get caught this issue. And then Liz wants to invite peter to a party that night one gets the feeling this might be a party for two and <laughs> then uh peter says sorry liz no can't do i've got a date with a certain little brunette tonight even though she may not know it yet so then he says you deserve flash i'm gonna have you talk to him and she's like oh we rated that after the way we always treated peter and then peter is ecstatic he sells his photos to chase john chamberson He's going to go out for a date with Betty and he is a happy man. So last issue was such a bummer. It was a better issue because it was tragic and had bite to it. And this issue is not, isn't tragic and has not a lot of bite to it. But it's nice to get some alternation between last month's bum Roven issue and this sort of delightful issue. I thought this was a fun issue. Nice to see Peter come out on top. It was beautifully penciled and inked by Ditko, scripted by Stanley, and who knows to what degree Stanley plotted it.
1: Yeah. So uh, some of my thoughts on this one, you know, we've both talked about how, uh, well, I guess you've talked mainly about this, but I'm going to go ahead and chime in on this as well. That now that we're going back and as you said, reading more closely this time, there are things that I didn't see last time, which I'm, last time I read through these, which I'm seeing now. And part of it is just how fantastically imaginative Ditko is with his fight scenes. Yes, I, I just hadn't struck me before <laughs> reading through him this time that he really does think about, you know, where you're going in three dimensional space. And, you know, sort of it's almost like he had to think it out like like, you know, a game of mousetrap in terms of you know beforehand. Well, how are you going to go from here to there and what's going to happen? Um, he does a great job drawing the uh, zoo animals. Yes. Um, and on page fourteen, at the bottom of page fourteen, did you notice the uh sign that Dr. Octopus knocks off the uh side of the building oh, that Ederman has to
0: I did notice that sign. I'm like, what a weird name of that company on that sign. That's a that's bizarre. I didn't get it.
1: Right. Lee Dit Incorporated, as in Lee and Dit of Ditko Incorporated. So I'm guessing that was a Ditko thing. So, you know, I'm thinking that he and Lee were still on good terms at this <laughs> point. <laughs> Let me see. What else was uh, Yeah, I think those are the two main things I had to say. Just I'm really impressed with the fight scenes and the geography of the fight scenes, the choreography of the fight scenes, especially with a really intricate one like this that involves Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus and zoo animals, uh, you know, going through the city and then into that sculptor's, you know, (laughs) crazy sculptor studio. I, I had lots of fun in this issue. Oh, last thing I'll mention is on the top of page 16, first panel, is it just me or does that look like the inspiration for the cover of the Marvel tryout book from the mid 80s?
0: You are totally right. As soon I did not notice that when I was reading it, but you just said, you know, Page 16, top panel, I'm like, oh, man, it's the Marvel Trial book. <laughs> exactly,
1: right? I mean, I actually went back and checked. And yeah, it's obvious. It's a different composition. But that smokestack looks exactly the same. But it's Dr. Octopus attacking Spider-Man on top of a smokestack. <laughs> yeah, it really looks to me like that's what they used as an inspiration for that. Yeah. So I guess we now move on to Fantastic Four which is a continuation from last month. We were left with the cliffhanger, basically, of the Thing and the Hulk still grappling with each other in Mortal Kombat. So on the cover, we see that, obviously, we're going to be having the Avengers showing up here as well. Another thing I've seen pointed out about this cover a number of times is the size of the people and the stories that are being built up here is all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> These things would have like five foot ceilings. basically. <laughs> <But> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, uh, I, I'm not the one who made that observation. I've seen other people make that observation.
0: This is, this is when they built the building that's in Being John Malkovich.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, uh, that, uh, that tracks. Yes. So uh, we start off with the Hulk and the thing, uh, you know, once again, just in close quarters, uh, pounding each other. So then the credits are unforgettably written in the grand manner by Stan Lee, powerfully drawn in the heroic manner by Jack Kirby, and inked by George Bell, lettered by Art Simon.
0: Yes, nothing. <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all.
1: <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, so we just get right back into it here, and we've got a great fight scene between uh, Hulk and Thing. Again, we get an indication that this is a uh, neighborhood that has been scheduled to be, has been condemned anyway. A, that means that they are not harming human beings, and B, it means they aren't harming any property that needs to be uh, saved. I get the feeling that a lot of those you know, would be like, hey, New York was just evacuated in one panel kind of thing. Are you well, know we're stan- about to
0: get to the ultimate example of that later on <laughs> later <laughs> on in this episode we're going to get the biggest evacuation in Marvel history but uh, that's that's a spoiler we're Oh oh
1: that, oh that that right
0: <laughs> um well, hey, that one's at least magical
1: uh but I, I get the feeling that a lot of these are just uh stan lee putting this in there like uh, there would be a lot of dead people <laughs> if this yeah. Wait, I'm just going to go throw in this whole, like, oh, good thing it's an abandoned neighborhood, or good thing we were able to evacuate the city. Human Torch recovers from, uh, or I guess wakes up from his injuries, uh, and tries to flame on, but they have an asbestos uh, hospital gown on him, and asbestos bandages. <laughs> so he pulls off the hospital gown and flies off with the with the asbestos bandages still on. So um, it's clear that he's still injured. He's not in top form, but he must go get back and get back into the fight
0: now keep in mind the i'll go ahead and jump to the end uh the book ends with sue going i'm just glad that none of us were injured and i'm like (laughs) johnny is like johnny's right there sue (laughs) he's got johnny was (laughs) johnny was horribly injured Sue.
1: (laughs) yeah well you know Uh, but but that's just her kid brother that doesn't yeah you know well i can say that you know a kid brother will just, you know, really play up his injuries, uh, just to, you know, so so you can just you can just ignore those. It's uh, yes. uh you know, it's clearly made up. So anyway, uh, at this point, Johnny goes back into the fray. So then we see some uh, reporters that are trying to get out in the field and see what's going on. Um, the thing is telling him that they are being too dangerous, and uh, he's got to go and um, do this stuff on his own. Uh, but little does he know. That the, uh, that, the, that the Hulk is just below him in the subway tunnels. And so we get this uh, neat sequence of the subway car operator uh, being like, wait, what is that? Oh my God, it's a man
0: on the tracks. I can't you know, slow nice, A nice, a nice yeah. you know, generally speaking, the art inked page for in this issue is once again regrettable. Fell uh, is letting Kirby down, but Kirby is still doing a great job. And the three panel sequence of the train getting closer and closer to the Hulk is really nice.
1: Yeah, it is, and and the sort of dawning realization of the uh, train conductor. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um. So then,
0: (laughs) but then this uh, is utterly bizarre. Yes. The Hulk decides he has to get across New York, and instead of just leaping across New York, I guess he's tired of getting beat up by the Thing. He could then he. I get the feeling the Hulk can still get around pretty fast. Like he could. I guess he's not going to run, but you know, I would think there's better ways for him to get around. But he decides the best way for him to get across town is to take control of a train car. He sort of asks nicely. He says, <laughs> he gives them all a chance to evacuate the train car. He says, leave the train, take all the pastors with you while you still can. So there's sort of a vague menace here, but then he he runs the train car. He's actually knows how to run the the little device to, to operate the train so that he can then go to the Avengers by subway car, which he does. know I, I-, I would,
1: and on panel two and page nine, he just looks so
0: depressed <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> as he's as he's operating the subway. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, uh, really odd. So then once he gets. Yeah, because I mean, he could jump. I mean, I guess maybe you could think that with the tall skyscrapers, he would end up knocking into things. If he was just trying to jump around. But I don't know. I think this is just Kirby wanted to see show him hijacking a uh, subway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, he gets across town to avengers mansion or i guess it's not called avengers mansion yet it's tony stark's mansion which the avengers use as their headquarters he gets there and there are the avengers and so they start getting into a fight so it's easy to forget at this point this is an issue of the fantastic four (laughs) because now you have the hulk fighting uh the avengers all drawn by jack kirby and it's like oh yeah this is Oh, I'm reading an Avengers comic. Then, after all, it's like, no, wait a minute, I'm not. <laughs> so they get into a big old fight. Uh, meanwhile, the Doctor um, is has found some kind of antidote to give to Reed. He starts coming out of his fever sleep. So at this point, Johnny, Reed, and Sue are all able to go back out and join Ben again, and they head off to go find the battle that is currently ongoing Uh, the wasp ends up uh flying into the hulk's ear canal to (laughs) drive him nuts and it seems to really
0: work yeah so you know they're sort of starting to acknowledge that they've got a huge wasp problem and that she has become just this utterly useless flibberty gibbet for the last several months in both the Avengers and giant man of the wasp comics Here they try to have her be useful and go into the Hulk's ear, which does indeed drive the Hulk crazy. This will then be taken to a much bigger extreme in the Mark Millar Ultimates comics when they have a similar moment to this happen. But it actually saves the day in their first big battle with the Hulk because she actually goes into a blood canal in his brain and makes him go comatose. They're trying. They're trying a little bit to solve their last problem, but not much.
1: Yeah, she, she needs to get her wasp sting, her little uh, blasts that she can have out of her hands, that, that yes. that's really where she uh, she gets her due. Then we've got this big three way fight. Uh, well, actually more than three ways, but the fight between the four of the Fantastic Four and the what is it, five of the Avengers and the one of the Hulk. So it's just a massive amount of uh, combatants uh, and the Fantastic Four and Avengers are getting in each other's way. And so they're fighting each other. And uh, at one point, Sue is trying to throw a force field around the Hulk, but Giant Man happens to get in between and she accidentally gets him and trips him up. Um, We do at one point in part of the fight uh, between Hulk and Captain America get more references to judo. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) which we had no shortage of so far in the um, Marvel Universe. Uh, again, more c- you know confusion of just too many combatants in too small a space uh, when Thor throws his hammer at the Hulk, but the Hulk leaps out of the way and it ends up hitting the thing <laughs> and knocking him like a block away. The Fantastic Four and the Avengers sort of say, okay, we need to coordinate here. We're not going to fight against each other. Let's get going with this stuff. then we get to the scene that is depicted on the cover. Hulk has taken Rick Jones up to the top of the skyscraper, the, the, uh, sorry, a skyscraper that is in construction, you know, and, and Hulk is uh, confronting Rick Jones about like, you know, you know, all my secrets, I trusted you and now you've left me, which I actually didn't remember. I thought that the Hulk was going to be more like Uh, Good, I don't have to deal with that bratty kid anymore. But no, I'd I'd forgotten that he actually is hurt. What We have more things of folks getting in their way, even though they were trying to coordinate more. Iron Man hits Johnny
0: with a repulsor ray. He's hurling me away with that blasted transistorized magnetic repellent power of his. So, you know, you know, Stanley is getting hardcore whenever he combines transistors and magnets into one (laughs) unstoppable force.
1: Yes. The Hulk brings the rest of the skyscraper structure down, it looks like, and traps Iron Man. He's talking about how he has to reach to some master control panel in order to do something to free himself. And it looks like he's having to reach around to something inside the rubble, which um, is not something we really see much of. It would make a lot more sense. Uh, as opposed to in the um, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, they always have these diagrams drawn by Elliot Brown, I think is, is his name. Right. One of the things they had on the inside of Iron Man's mask was little saliva sensitive touch things like right inside his mouth for him to control all this stuff. So he was having to like touch stuff with his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: did not remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I'm I'm just picturing him, you know, he can't have his banter because
0: he's going to, <laughs> he's going to be
1: drooling all over the place. As this so I do kind of prefer it in some ways that he has to reach down to some sort of control panel, but uh, they both have their problems. So uh, we have a fantastic panel on page 19 near the top where uh, the Thing and the Hulk are both approaching each other on a girder and they punch a vertical girder that's in between them at the same time at different levels. And it just turns the girder into like a big Z, um, which then you know creates more uh, destruction and they fall down to the bottom. But that's just a, a fantastic panel just showing the power of what's going on. I also yeah. like the very next panel of them falling down with the debris falling after them. That's a very evocative panel. Then the Hulk does that thing where he stomps on a uh floorboard and <laughs> launches Captain America up like a seesaw. So uh but that's always fun when you know you've got a super strong character stomping on something and seesawing somebody up into the air so giant man (laughs) then takes on the hulk and is doing this whole now i'm giant now i'm tiny now i'm giant now i'm
0: tiny which i do always like i always wish that he had i mean it's really silly when he has to take pills because they're actually showing him in each of these panels that are showing him wolfing down pills like it's nobody's (laughs) business as he keeps getting tiny and and big and then tiny and big Um, and i'm like oh my gosh watch your pill intake there giant man but uh (laughs) but i do always like it when he actually fights that way
1: yeah yeah wasp shows up with um with the ants and uh hank says jan honey you brought my ants just what i need And of course, you've got the cybernetic stuff in your helmet. Why didn't you summon your ants? Uh, But anyway, he has the ants uh, essentially start crawling all over the Hulk, making him itchy. So he's trying to make it out to the dock to jump in the water to get the ants off. And Rick catches him partway through that. He says, now, while his mouth is open, this emergency gamma ray treated capsule, which Banner gave me months ago, I mustn't miss. And he tosses it into (laughs) the Hulk's mouth. Um, And then so he falls into the water and the pill takes effect after he's in the water. And he turns back into Banner where he's, I guess, floating unconscious in the water. Uh, and he gets away. So then the Avengers and the Fantastic Four all say, well, you know what? Uh, Glad we met each other and you're good people. We're looking forward to fighting by your side again in the future, basically. That is it. That's the issue. It probably even outdoes last month as the biggest knockdown, drag-out, battle royale uh, slugfest that we've had yet in the uh, modern Marvel universe.
0: Yeah, and certainly the most characters. This is the all-time convocation of Marvel characters for a, you know, this is we've had some stories. We've had I'm looking at you, Giant Man. We've had some two part Giant Man stories that did not deserve to be two part stories. But this <laughs> is the this two partner certainly needed to be a two it It is a big story. It is great to see all the characters come together. And I I admire how like instead of just going like the Fantastic Four meets the Avengers and then. They get mind controlled into fighting against each other or tricked into fighting against each other. But here it's like, well, no, they just get in each other's way because they're in a small space and right. they're all trying to defeat. They're all trying to fight the same guy in a small space and they get in each other's way. And that causes most of the difficulty in this issue. And I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought that was a clever idea for the how these two people to end up um, coming into conflict with each other. And I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was a good issue. I think it's a shame that it's synced by George Bell, but I think that it's well-penciled and well-written. So, yes,
1: uh, I'm I'm happy with that one. And uh, I guess I now pass it on to you.
0: Journey into Mystery, yes? All right, let's get to Journey into Mystery 104 with Money Mighty Thor. Nothing you've ever seen before can equal the breathtaking spectacle of giants walk the earth. So I think this is a gorgeous cover. We've got Thor flying along. He is taking up most of the cover. There's just two bad guys in the background. A storm giant named Scrag and Surtur the fire demon who would go on to be one of Thor's greatest villains many years later in the 1980s is a more minor villain at this point you don't really get a sense of what a big deal he will eventually be we then jump into the issue thankfully this says this is a tale so powerful in concept so dramatic in scope that only the inspired talent of Stan Lee could have written it only the gifted hand of Jack Kirby could have illustrated it and it Great news, not inked by George Bell, inked by Chick Stone, who's been inking the last few issues and is doing a wonderful job. Really beautiful. Why he was doing. So unfortunately, over in Fantastic Four, we still have one more issue of George Bell next until finally they bring Chick Stone over to the Fantastic Four, their flagship book. It will be so good when Chick Stone shows up in Fantastic Four. Two issues from now, but he's been killing it over here on Journey into Mystery. Loki is still pissed at Enchantress and Executioner for failing last issue. Enchantress looks really mopey about it. She's like, uh, the, the mighty Thor is more powerful and far wiser than you suspect, Loki. She is. Uh, she knows she's failed. Loki then figures, hey, I know how to solve this. I'll just go up to Odin, go, hey, Odin, you should go down to Earth and take care of this problem and you should leave me in charge and give me your powers. Which Odin, being an utter idiot, says like, that's a great <laughs> idea, Loki. I'm going to leave, leave you in charge of Asgard, give you some of my powers and go down to earth to deal with this whole chain Foster problem. So then, uh,
1: you know what I just noticed this is bare chested Odin. We, we saw bare chested Odin at one point earlier in the Joe Sinat penciled days. And you had pointed out, you had pointed out at that point that we don't really uh, often see bare chested Odin, but here we
0: are. Odin goes down to earth. We have a fun bit where he's walking around on earth and muggers of course come up to him because you know, we always have muggers in New York City back alleys in Marvel Comics, despite the fact that New York City does not have any alleys in real life. Of course, they go up to Odin and it doesn't go well. They get hit by a big shock of energy after trying to mug Odin. And um, I've got to uh,
1: say that uh, that Odin looks very much like uh, Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th <laughs> Street throughout this
0: issue. He does. So then, <laughs> so then we've talked a lot about what a great artist Jack Kirby is. This is an absolutely gorgeous kirby panel on page five so then loki has finally been left in charge of asgard he can't believe it was this easy he's been left in charge of asgard he's been given part of odin's powers and the drawing in the upper right hand corner of page five what on earth could that be a drawing of other than what it is a drawing of somebody who has wanted to sit in this chair for a long time (laughs) And it's finally been told. After a lifetime of trying to sit in this chair, you can finally sit in this chair. And that is exactly what that is a drawing of. That is a drawing of someone who has always wanted to sit in this chair and is now sitting in this chair. And it what a what a brilliant artist! What an absolutely brilliant way to draw that. Loki has always been a man spreader. He will always be a man spreader. He is very much man spreading in the chair. But it is. I just. I. T- I mean, tell me that is not. That is not oh, what that is a drawing of.
1: I, I will not tell you that that is not what that's a drawing of. That that very much is that's what a drawing of. It does look kind of like he's like, I haven't been allowed to sit here. I'm going to rub my butt all over. This.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to relax. <laughs> <laughs> so, then, so then he says, okay, I've now been put in charge of Asgard, given Odin's powers. How do I not blow this? I know. Okay, first thing I should do before I do anything else, I should free Asgard's greatest enemies and have them attack the earth. That's the first thing I should do now that I've been given this power. It's like, okay, holding on to power 101, not your strong suit, Loki, but that's what you're <laughs> going to do. So then he frees Greg the storm I'm sorry, Skag, the the storm giant and Serger the fire demon to attack the earth. Uh Heimdall sees all this, sends Balder down to earth. This is I think the first time we've really seen Balder as like Thor's sidekick I in modern so. day stories which becomes a common thing after this
1: so one funny thing we've got a uh, very good friend who is uh has dual citizenship between sweden and the usa and we visited her in sweden a few years ago and the largest amusement park in scandinavia one of the rides was specifically a balder themed ride okay I mean Scandinavian, right? I mean that's their that's their their mythological heritage. So yeah, I just remember thinking, wow, really okay.
0: So this is a uh, yeah right. So Balder tells Thor uh, this is what Loki's just done. Thor is like and Balder's like uh, you better tell Odin because apparently he's here on earth looking for you and he's like, oh, he's probably gonna go to my office and goes to his office And then Thor tells Odin what Loki has done. Thor Odin says, so we were just talking about the last issue about how they avoided having collateral damage, how they avoid putting civilians in danger. Well, we have the ultimate example ever in Marvel history of that right here where Odin's like, OK, stuff is about to go down. We're going to have a big knockdown out fight here just to be safe. I'm going to take the entire human race and send them off to limbo. And says, then, at a gesture from the monarch of Asgard, the very fabric of time itself stands still as the entire human race, under an irresistible spell, is instantly transported to a dimension beyond the ken of the human mind. So then, all right, no humans on Earth anymore. Now we can really get down to business. They have a big fight in seemingly either the East River or the Hudson River near Manhattan. I wonder what the pets feel about that. Yeah, <laughs> Where my so then so it's balder and thor and odin odin is back to being fabulous free serger then says all right let's go and get done business here i'm going to turn into a giant fireball and i'm going to melt the polarized cap see ya and he takes off leaving the other three to deal with skag which they do odin points a sword at him and makes him fall over dead essentially and then they go oh let's deal with serger and Thor manages to suddenly magnetize Sardar. So instead of melting the polarized caps, he gets attached to an asteroid that goes shooting off into outer space. (laughs) At this point, Odin is like, okay, I'm not even going to try to deal with the Jane Foster situation. Clearly, I have used some poor judgment with my other son. (laughs) And he goes ahead and goes home. And then after Loki does all this, (laughs) instantly frees Asgard's greatest enemies as soon as he gets a little bit of power, Odin goes back and says, Heimdall has told me of your treachery, Loki. You will serve the trolls until I set you free. Now go, unfaithful one. So it's like, I'm going to give you some extra chores to do. You know, I (laughs) am not a fan of capital punishment. I don't believe in capital punishment. But in this one rare case, kill him. Just kill him. Kill (laughs) Loki. He is a genuinely evil person. He is not going to stop. He is proven impervious to punishment. He has proven... Completely unfazed by any punishment you have ever given him. Kill him. It's time to kill him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay. So Matt has spoken.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and go on to Tales of Asgard, a tale told with splendor by Stanley, a drama drawn in glory by Jack Kirby. Unfortunately, inked by Don Heck, but. This issue is inked by Don Heck. Next issue will be inked by George Bell. And then starting the next issue, every Tales of Asgard that we have left will be inked by Vince Coletta, who is about to make his Marvel debut. So let's appreciate Don Heck inking while we can get it. Little, (laughs) It's just going to get worse from here, folks. We have the origin of Heimdall. We find out that there was a time when Asgard was attacked. They decided they needed a guard on the Rainbow Bridge. They had a little competition between Heimdall and two other people. Heimdall was able to hear a tiny plant growing uh, several miles away, and they were so impressed by that, they went ahead and put him in charge, and he said, hey, my first day on the job, I'm going to tell you that there's storm giants way far away who are planning to attack us or who have just headed over here to attack us. And sure enough, they go over there, and they find them, and they grab them, and they bring them back to Asgard, and they go, hey, Heimdall, you are awesome at this job. We're going to set you up on the bridge. And they do. And that is the end of Tales of Asgard. A nice tale, once again, told with Curry. Always likes to do his four panel layouts for Tales mm-hmm. of Asgard. He's really letting himself expand in these stories, even though they're very short stories. And he is drawing the hell out of it. And, you know, Hex isn't that bad. And yeah. it is a nice little story.
1: Yeah, uh, these things are not very plotty. Which, no. you know, um, a lot of his stu- a lot of the stuff that Kirby's working on is. So that's probably a nice change of pace. <laughs> hey, I'm just going to tell a simple little story and draw some really nice drawings along the way.
0: Yep. That's all. That's his whole ambition here. But <laughs> so I thought this was a good issue. One certainly would not sense from this issue how much drama Surter will later engender. Oh, no. <laughs> that, uh, what, what a What a hugely yes. consequential, powerful, threatening villain he will one day be. But it still it feels like a huge it feels like a huge battle you know they they evacuate the entire planet Earth that uh, it feels like a nice big battle it's amazing you know so I'm currently reading I always have a big goal of Marvel comics to read before the next Marvel movie comes out well not every Marvel movie like I didn't read any Doctor Strange comics before the Doctor Strange movie but I decided before this new Thor book came out I wanted to go ahead and read all the girl Thor comics from when Jane Foster became Thor. And then I decided, you know, I'm just going to read them all. So I've basically been reading the entirety of Thor up <laughs> through 2016 when Jane Foster was over wow. Thor. And I am now, I'm, I've got like 10 dates left until Thor comes out. I'm almost done. I'm in reading comics from 2016, I think right now. And... But, oh, my God, storylines just take so long these days. Like, the whole Jane Foster as Thor storyline is, you know, a massive three-year-long storyline. And every storyline that I've ever read from Marvel Comics in the last 10 years is a three-year-long storyline. Like, oh, let's have Dr. Octopus take over as Spider-Man for three years. You know, let's go ahead and have, oh, the, you know, the new Avengers are trying to stop incursions into our universe for three years. And it just goes on forever. And as you track backwards in time, you can see storylines gradually get shorter and shorter as you go backward in time so that you know you had this essentially like a 16-issue storyline uh, where they fought Serger in the 80s. Well, here we get back to the beginning of time and you have the first big Serger battle, which goes for a whopping 13 pages. And <laughs> it's amazing how much story they can cram into 13 pages back then. Nowadays, it would be at least 13 months.
1: Uh we we did have uh an Odin versus Surtr battle in one of the first uh and maybe maybe it was the first tales of Asgard. Uh, right, so and- we're
0: already expanding. We started off with a five-page Surtr <laughs> battle and then we got up to a 13-page Surtr battle and who <laughs> oh boy are they going to get longer.
1: Yeah, yeah, cuz in the 80s uh basically Surtr is forging a sword in the heart of a star for like 12 whole issues when we're just like what's going on with this what is, what is it what's coming and then they finally have the storyline with that uh where it all it all comes to fruition uh which is just epic and fantastic uh but that's, that's not what we're reading right now meanwhile we are going to move on now to strange tales once again the odd pairing of a johnny tart johnny johnny torch i keep on doing that of a human torch story uh paired with a doctor strange story uh, this is one where the human torch meets the Iceman, the teenage masters of heat and cold, fighting side by side for the very first time. The bad guy in here, who is on the cover, who we're going to see inside, is named, like, what, Captain Barracuda.
0: Well, he's just called the Barracuda in this issue. He will later become a major ongoing Marvel villain who will be called Captain Barracuda. And I had forgotten when we were listing the major Marvel villains who were introduced in Strange Tales. I totally forgot that we meet Captain Barracuda for the first time. Captain Barracuda later to star in one of the most infamous Marvel panels of all time. I guess that's probably what he's best remembered for is being in one of the biggest boners in the No Prize book where it shows him looking through a... Periscope with uh one eye as one does and then and then and then shouting to people what he just saw through the periscope and he was looking at it with his eye patch eye was looking through the periscope. But
1: uh, I I totally forgotten that. That's awesome. All right. So um our story starts out uh well once again we've got that uh weird affectation of Iceman's guest appearance through courtesy of quote X-Men magazine. (laughs) Which is <laughs> like, guys, come on. I mean, you're you're clearly playing up the whole Marvel Clubhouse bullpen thing at this point. That's that's getting a little old. Uh so uh we start out with the Fantastic Four just hanging around and well, Johnny well we
0: should give the credits here. Definitely written by Stan oh. Lee, dazzlingly drawn by Jack Kirby and dramatically yes. inked by Dick Ayers. So we've got a Lee Kirby Ayers book here. It is Getting the Old Gang Back Together. Yes, um, yes. and doing Fantastic Four here in the opening pages. And I desperately miss Dick Hair's inks on the main Fantastic Four book. And it's so nice to have Lee, Kirby, and Ayers reunited. And it's always such a kick when we get Kirby showing up to do these Strange Tales stories, which he could persistently does. He will, you know, like every five months or so, he'll just go like, you know, I got some extra time this month. I'm going to do Johnny Torch in Strange Tales. Oh, it's, a, it's such a delight whenever he shows up.
1: Yeah. And I do have to say that uh, I do like Dick's uh, inks on this issue. Um, yeah. you Yeah. Know, It's just sometimes when it looks like he just pulled out the mop that I uh, that I I really dislike it. But no, jolly good job here. All right, so uh, we start out with the Fantastic Four hanging around. Johnny is reading the paper where they're talking about the X Men. They're talking how mysterious they are, that no one knows where they are or who they are. Johnny reaches a line that says a frozen version of the Human Torch, uh, describing Iceman, that of course ticks off Johnny. Cut to Westchester, where the X-Men, they're done with school for the day, and Gene is going to head out on a date with Warren. Iceman is sitting there still frozen and talking to Professor X, saying, gosh, Professor X, whenever I get up the nerve to ask Gene for a date, the Angel or Cyclops or somebody beats me to it. So it's just like, all, all the guys are just like, oh, I out on a date every now and then, you know, every I mean, once a week or something like that. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Gene is having to go out on a date every <laughs> night, just rotating <laughs> through all the guys.
0: <laughs> because, except for poor Iceman.
1: Except for poor Iceman. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> I I think he really didn't want to ask her out on a date.
0: So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, generally speaking, Marvel has not had enough inclusion. They have not had enough gay characters. They had no gay characters for most of their history until finally uh, we got North Star over an alpha fight. But then what would happen? What tends to happen with people who want there to be more gay characters in comics is they take anything that's not nailed down. And they'll say, like, okay, this hero is not nailed down. This hero has never had a convincing heterosexual life. And so for many, many years, fans were like, Iceman might be gay. He might be someone who we can claim as a gay hero. And you have very few instances to contradict that you have very few instances where there's like oh no, he's acting kind of heterosexual here
1: he and beast would double date with those two like beatnik girls right vera and some well, i remember beast would date vera i don't remember who bobby would date yeah, yeah I, it, did he have
0: his own beatnik girl
1: yeah yeah the, uh, vera had a friend and they would always go double dating with these two girls but um you know bobby never seemed all that into it
0: well and most notably bobby then Did have a crush on a girl in the Defenders comics in the 1980s, but that girl would occasionally become a guy and (laughs) was gender fluid back before that was something that we were talking about as much. But we have an interesting sort of exception that proves the rule issue here in terms of Bobby spends the whole issue sort of looking for love seemingly with women. But you can't tell if he's, you know, he doesn't seem very, certainly he doesn't seem very confident at it and he doesn't seem very dedicated to it and you're not sure if he's not just looking to be seen to be dating to be seen, not just looking for a beard essentially
1: or, or or just that he's still confused and unsure of his identity that you know he's right. just like oh you know what I, I just you know i just need to find a girl maybe that'll do it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um meanwhile i'm noticing though that kirby is doing some weird stuff with perspective in this uh in these first couple of pages on the splash page, I I sort of chalked the weird perspective up to that big scope thing that Reed is working with might be angled down in a, you know, particular way. But if you just look at the sizes of the characters and where their feet are and where their heads are, it's, you know, no one seems to be, to use a phrase you used a moment ago in a different way, nailed down. Uh, And then at the bottom of page two, when Bobby is walking away from professor X Professor X is clearly in the uh, being John Malkovich
0: building right there. Yes. <laughs> there's there's no way he's not. So he's um, in the building that they were building in Fantastic Four number twenty six. Right. Yes. Exactly.
1: So uh, Iceman uh, decides. You know what? I'm gonna go out and do a river cruise uh, of Manhattan because there are lots of swinging teens on these cruises. Like, are there? Are there really? Uh, but, so he gets on board, changes back into suited Bobby Drake, uh, and ends up hitting actually on Doris Evans, unbeknownst to him. Uh, nobody here knows who the other one is just yet. Uh, and so then he finds out that, oh, it's a human torch Jesus, who's her boyfriend. Ugh, okay. Then he, though, is getting all grumpy about it and he's freezing the sodas that uh, Johnny got for Doris. And then uh, Johnny is, of course, just able to use his flame powers to melt the sodas again. I'm sure like those sodas are going to be really super flat at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's some tasty soda that's just frozen <laughs> and then been superheated. Thou shalt, thou shalt walk on naught but burning hot coals and drink naught but burning hot cola. <laughs>
1: Gen X Simpsons references. (laughs) So Iceman is going off mopey, just seeing all these other teenage couples, and he can't find anybody. Uh, So he's moping along and happens to run into a couple of shady looking types. And Iceman's thinking, no, I shouldn't get in trouble on my day off. I'm just going to go ahead and ignore whatever is going on. But of course, these folks break into the radio room, and then the Barracuda comes in. And once the uh, communications are cut down, it takes over the boat. Johnny Storm ends up going into action as the Human Torch to uh, melt guns and shoot fireballs and stuff like that. So then um, Iceman decides to turn into Iceman again to come out and help as well. The bad guys then catch Johnny in a big, just in a big canvas. He's like, yeah, but this is an asbestos. It'll burn right through it. And uh, it turns out, though, that he realizes that he has created a big fire and he has to put fire out. Iceman ends up creating giant ice balls and basically bowling them, some of the bad guys here, that also, I think, ends up putting out the flame, too. So you've just got both of them teaming up to take care of the bad guys. Barracuda, though, leaves his henchmen behind because he doesn't care about them, Uh, but he kidnaps Dory Evans and takes her with him as he heads off on some kind of small launch that he can take off with her to use as a hostage. But then Iceman is able to create basically a giant iceberg underneath his boat that then traps him up on a little ice tower in
0: the middle. We get this absolutely bizarre ending where he's been fighting Iceman for 13 pages now. And then he tries to get away after fighting Iceman for 13 pages. And then he says, but a few seconds later, what? Question mark, question mark, an ice jam exclamation point, exclamation point, but it's impossible, exclamation point. The temperature is way above freezing, exclamation point, exclamation point. How? Question mark, question mark. And then he goes, what's going on here? This can't be. Am am I going mad? And Dory can't figure it out either. Dory's like, Johnny, what is it? How did this happen? I'm like, you're fighting Iceman, dude. You don't think he could have possibly caused this iceberg to have stopped you? Like, dude, get with the program.
1: Yeah, very, very good point. At that point, since apparently nobody uh, expects Iceman to be able to do anything, uh, he goes ahead and creates a series of ice flows in front of him to jump from one to one to be able to get back to the shore so that he doesn't have to go through the rest of the cruise after all of this destruction. Um, and then so at the end, uh, we get Johnny and Doris once again, sort of wondering uh, about who Iceman was.
0: Do you think he has a girlfriend, Johnny? And he says, like, I like him. Sure. He must have dozens of them. So, you know, yeah. all <laughs> no shortage of moments in Iceman's history where you're like, oh, hoo, hoo. <laughs> Which we know now. <laughs> so uh
1: yes. Um a a decent story. I would say that when it comes to the human torch strange tale stories, it's probably average to slightly above. It's nice to see the you know interaction between these two teenage characters that have, you know, very opposite powers and very opposite ways that they work in the world, too. That Johnny is, you know, has a public identity. Iceman, people don't know who he is or where he where he comes from. He's just very mysterious. Johnny is obviously, as we were talking about, the serial monogamist in a very heterosexual way. And Bobby, although they will not, um, you know, declare that he is gay until like the 2000s, uh, you know, in retrospect, if we uh, retcon this back to that, then, you know, that's another sort of opposite. Um, so it's uh, it's fun. Um, I like the look of Barracuda. Uh, even though he's kind of silly, you know, just like, oh, look, it's a pirate who's going around New York City.
0: <laughs> Rating swinging single teen cruises. To yes,
1: because lot because the money
0: that swinging single teens carry on them.
1: Right. You know, I, I've heard that in Glenville, they've got like really fancy galas that he could go and uh, and hit up. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, any other thoughts that you have about this uh, this story before we go on to Doctor Strange?
0: I like this story a lot. Captain Barracuda turns out to be a villain who has a lot of life in him over the years. And it's just great to have Kirby back. It's just logical to get these two characters together and have them have a fun little fight against a pirate on a swinging single teen cruise.
1: Yes, as we get a little bit of teenage angst with Bobby in the meantime. Because, you know, you got to have some of that teenage angst in these comics. Yep. <clears throat> so we're going to move on to Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts. The House of Shadows, we're also going to find out in here, you know, I kept on saying that his amulet in the first couple of appearances looked like the Eye of agamato And then at this point, it doesn't. Um, and it doesn't right near, uh, right here at this point. But it's going to be the Eye of Agamato. I mean, it's going to act exactly like and look exactly like the Eye of agamato except it's still a square uh, amulet in this weird way. We start out with Dr. Strange striding down the streets of Manhattan in uh, broad daylight, which they make a note that this is not very common for him to do. Uh, well, sorry. this
0: is clearly not Manhattan because we've got a house on a street with a lawn, so we're somewhere else.
1: Right. But um, and yeah, it's very unclear where they are because... I, you know, in, I assume they're in
0: middle America or something.
1: Finally, the imposing figure reaches his destination, a small, strange cottage on the outskirts of the city. But I was thinking ah. it had to have been someplace that was in walking distance of the village.
0: You, know? you would have to go for a long walk from the village to get to a house with a with a yard and essentially I, a picket I, fence, as we have here.
1: I guess maybe up near the cloisters would they have uh, you know an old, an old no. haunted house sitting there? I mean, because this doesn't seem like it's a house that actually has people living in it. It's in an old abandoned
0: house. Uh, anyway, It's got a lawn. There's not a single lawn. And maybe Gracie Mansion it might be the only house in all of Manhattan that has a lawn. <laughs>
1: uh, okay. So he shows up at uh, – there's a whole television crew and a big crowd around is they're announcing that a national news anchor is going to spend the night in this haunted house to prove that haunted houses are made up. The crowd is all sitting around waiting to see this thing, and all of them are very cynical about this. We've talked about this, how everybody in the Marvel Universe just thinks that with all the supernatural stuff going on, everyone always just assumes it's a publicity stunt of some type or another. Uh, and in this case, I guess you could say it is, that you know the news is going to do one of these. You know, Instead of doing hard news, we're going to do a... Are haunted houses real <laughs> kind of story with local news usually often does. So um, anyway, the uh, news anchor goes inside the house where he is going to uh, spend the night to prove that haunt that you know houses aren't haunted. Dr. Strange ditches his body <laughs> near a tree for him to come out in his astral form to try and enter the house to see what's going on. Uh, but he realized he can't actually get into the house, even in his astral form, which is weird. So he goes and goes back into his body. And then he pulls out, and they don't call it the Eye of Agamato, But his amulet opens up, and there is what looks like a human eye. And then that human eye floats out of the amulet, and it places itself onto Doctor Strange's head, where it then shoots out a beam of light. Um, which is, this is establishing something that we will have in Doctor Strange comics pretty much from this point on. And uh, it's one of the weirder, freaky visuals that we're going to have generally in Doctor Strange.
0: Now, it's interesting, in the latest Doctor Strange movie, they've had him with an eye in the middle of his forehead as sort of a sign that he has turned evil. And so that is a different use of the eye in the forehead, but it sort of has its origins here.
1: So he is now able to use this uh, third eye to see inside the house and there's weird things going on, weird mists that are filling the place up. The, the news anchor who's in there is actually really starting to get freaked out, and then his microphone stops broadcasting. Everybody's really starting to freak out, except for some of the people in the crowd. Like, who do they think they're kidding with this phony stuff? Boy, how corny can you get? <laughs> Which, you know, Once again, if this were in our world, I would be right with, there with those guys. But in their world, Are you really not going to believe that? (laughs) You've seen all the crazy stuff that's been going on, right? Doctor Strange realizes he needs to get in there. He's trying to push past everybody. They're like, hey, we got here first. You got a bad seat. Deal with it. Stay back there. So then he uses some magic powers to push everybody out of the way and get up to the house where he is able to use magic to unlock the door and head on inside. Most of the images on page six are just absolutely gorgeous, Uh, particularly panel four, Uh, where we just see the back of Dr. Strange's cape with window panes, shadows being cast on it uh, as it's flowing around his body. It's just really, really, really nice. He gets into sort of a, somewhat of a mystic battle with these mists that are here, and uh, he then is able to communicate with the spirit that's in there. The news anchor stumbles out, Stunned. Someone says he's in shock and he needs to get to a doctor. So then, uh, Dr. Strange has a conversation with the spirit in the house, which turns out to be the house. The house itself is alive. It says, uh, that you came from another space time continuum to observe us and have pretended to be haunted in order to have none learn the truth. So then, uh, Dr. Strange, when he comes back out of the house, um, says, mankind will never truly be safe so long as you remain, and so I banish you. You must return to the shadow world from whence you came. And it's saying, no, don't make me depart. But then at the end, uh, now when he's coming out and walking through the crowd, everybody jumps out of his way without having to have a spell because they believe...
0: Well, the entire house disappears. There's just the empty impression where the house used to be. He, the house has been expelled from our space-time continuum, and uh, so everybody's like, holy shoot, what just happened? Uh, and, well, uh, well,
1: but not, but not everybody is, just, you know, two of the people there are like, eh, it's just a trick to impress the TV viewers. These special effects boys can do anything. They probably folded it up and tossed it on a truck under cover of the, all that smoke. Someone else says, yeah, it's just trick photography like they do in the movies. So no, not everyone's very impressed rough. by this. But in spite of that, when Dr. Strange comes striding through, they all get out of the way quick. Because no matter how cynical they are, they sort of realize, oh, this guy's a big deal. Now that we realize this, we need to get out of his way. So then he heads off into the uh, distance and uh, everybody's just looking at him slack jawed. So um, this is a, you know, it. this does feel very much like one of the stories that Ditko would do with Lee in the monster and mystery era. Uh, You know, the house that was alive kind of thing. Uh, But, you know, just sort of throw in a little bit of a superhero-y kind of um, uh, spin on it. But I like that we get to see, well, the Eye of Agamotto by, if by some other name. Again, it's just really nice to see Ditko drawing Strange's cape. Even though this isn't yet his uh, iconic cloak of levitation, uh, just the way that that Ditko renders the billowing folds and drapery of Doctor Strange's loose, uh, loose outfit and cape is just really stunning and gorgeous.
0: Yeah, it is. I think this is a great issue. I think that, you know, I, I just... There's just so much more going on in these Doctor Strange issues than there is in the average issue of, oh, say Giant Man, just Giant Man versus the Human Top. You know, that's just so sure. lame. You know, there's big mysteries to be solved here with interesting twists and interesting revolutions. Let me just also say about this issue, I really love the coloring. I think that a lot is left up for the coloring here when you have essentially just Doctor Strange having a showdown with a bunch of myths. And yeah. I really wish we knew who was coloring these issues. It's really great. You know... <laughs> They finally started crediting the colorists in the 70s. And at one point, I, my wife writes a lot about children's literature and knows a lot of the big people in children's literature. And at one point, we were at a party with the big people in children's literature. And Francoise Mouly was there, who is the wife of Art Spiegelman and also a big children's book publisher. And I was so happy she was there because I was able to go like, oh, Francoise Mouly, I know you. Well, I obviously, I knew her. I was able to say, oh, Francoise Mouly, I spent the week enjoying your work. And she's like, oh, well, what what did you enjoy? And I said, I spent the week reading old Master of Kung Fu comics when you were the colorist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And every issue of Master Kung Fu would say colors F. Muli long before she married Art Spiegelman. Maybe not so happy that I was dating her to the extent that that was, but um but I I am great looking forward to the days when colors are going to start being credited. But I think this is an excellent issue, you know. And it's interesting, no sense at all in here of eighties deco. Like if you look at the pages on the top of page eight, where you've got sort of a shocked crowd, then you know they look much more like sixties deco than eighties deco. Um, there's no no hint of no little hints in the in this issue of Spider Man of eighties deco. No hints here.
1: Great, so yeah, uh, well, thank you everybody for coming and joining us. And um, one of the things I've uh, I'm trying to ask people a little bit more, and uh, I just put this out on our Facebook page recently. Is we really would appreciate it if you would like and review us on whatever uh, platform you get our podcast from. Please consider it. It's uh, something you can do to uh, help spread the word about this podcast that you presumably like. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. We really appreciate it. And we will uh, return soon with the rest of May 1964.
0: Yep. Okay, guys. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Take care. Stay safe out there.
0: Thank you for listening to Marvel Reread Club. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on Marvel Reread Club in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. See you next time.